0: This is Tom from the Philly Young Adults Podcast. We wanted to take a moment to let you guys know that we have started working on season four. We're super excited about it and we're hoping to get that content out to you as soon as possible. But in the meantime, we hope that these past sessions from our Philly Young Adults Conference are a blessing to you. And as always, if you're located in the greater Philadelphia area, we'd love to extend an invitation out to you to come to our in-person gathering where we study the Bible and worship the Lord together. You can go to com for more information about all these things. Thanks, guys, and be talking to you soon. So, there's all kinds of modern things that are happening that you can't find in a concordance, right? There's just certain things, like you can't find the word um, video games. In a, in a concordance, right? But, but there's passages on distractions, on, on how we should live out our Sabbath, right? And so, there's all kinds of modern things that you're not going to be able to see. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want to speak to those things. I would still look to the Scriptures while I'm trying to decide how much screen time my children should have, right? There's, there's good science on that as well, but I want to look to the Bible and say, how do I actually disciple my children and myself and set limitations for myself on those things and how to use certain tools? And so, we're going to talk about processing ideas biblically, studying biblical topics, and give you a framework for doing that. And so, what you would do is, you'd, you know, you choose a topic that interests you or that has come up recently that you want to study, um, and then what's helpful is to make a list of synonyms for that, right? Because you're going to choose a topic, but if you just search that topic in the Scriptures, right? If you just go on to BibleGateway.com and search for that one topic word, you're only going to get a limited amount of responses. And, and sometimes the same exact thing you're looking for can be found in the Scriptures in a different synonym of that word. And so you want to make a list of five or so alternate words that you might find verses under, right? So you make a list… Five or six words of I think what I'm looking for is going to be under these, and then you look them up, right? You just search the scriptures. Thankfully, um, there's you know digital tools that will help you to do this, and so you type in the word, and all the corresponding verses in English that have that word in it are going to pop up. And this is the longest part of the process. You begin sifting through all of those verses pulling out verses that contextually seem like they will help you to understand that topic. And so, a good topical study will probably look at hundreds of verses, maybe a hundred verses or so, and it could take you a while. You can skim through them, and then one, this is going to add some information on my mind to that topic. Um, there may be ten verses that say the same exact thing. You just pull one of those verses out um, to continue looking. Tyler, you just gave me the weirdest looking face, and it distracted me, okay? Keep that face down, point it at the paper, all right? Teller's a youth pastor that likes to distract me. Virginia, all right? So collect, collect verse references for all of these topics, right? And then you want to consider each of those topics. So maybe out of the 200 verses, you found 30 verses that seem distinct and unique and teach you something different about the topic. So you want to consider them and say, God, what are you trying to teach me through your word about this topic? So now you're looking at all those verses, and you want to start grouping them together. There may be two or three verses that, as you put them together, teach you a principle. And then these two verses over here, when you put them together, teach you a a principle. And so you want to start outlining the verses and grouping them together and writing down some principles from what you're learning and um, condense that into an outline. And and then just kind of summarize what did you learn and how are you going to live it out. So this is going to help to, to look at an example of this. This is my wife's beautiful handwriting. If it were my handwriting, you would have no idea what is going on. But let's say you want to look at the topic of giving. You're just feeling super greedy. You're like, I know my parents gave money to the church, but I'm just trying to figure this out. If I don't have to give money, I don't want to give money, right? I want to spend it on food, right? Or co- sorry, coffee. Um, so the word is giving, but you'll need to look in the scriptures for other words like offering, gift, first fruits, tenth, you know, giving tithe. You want to look for all of these words in the scriptures. So you begin to search the scriptures. I'm going to limit my search to the New Testament and really just a handful of verses, just to um, show you what we're we're talking about here. All right. So you look at these verses. You see verses like Matthew 19, where it says, "If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come." and follow me. And so you would write down a little summary statement next to that verse. You're probably doing this digitally, so you would just paste out the whole verse and put a summary statement above it, which I wrote, we must be willing to part with earthly riches because a heavenly treasure is promised to givers. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So we learn that tithing must accompany godly living. You can't just give money. You also have to do the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. Luke 21, he looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts, but he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites, and that whole passage shows us it's not really about how much you give, it's about your heart. For her, that was sacrificial. For the rich, it might not have even been sacrificial. Second Corinthians 9, for I know your willingness about which I boast to you of the Macedonians, that you, that you were ready to, to give a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So we learn from this passage that you can get excited about giving. Giving can actually be joyful. First uh, Corinthians 16 says a similar thing where it says on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something storing up um, as you may prosper, that there will be no collections when I come. And so you should plan to give at church, right? You should, it, this shouldn't be like a thought that you have at church. Oh yeah, can I afford to, you know, give some money back to the Lord? It should be something that's planned in to our life, right? Second Corinthians 9 talks about uh, giving cheerfully. Matthew 6 don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so we learn that if we give secretly, then the Lord is the one that rewards us, rather than people thinking, oh, look how sacrificial that person is. In the Matthew 6, 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we learn that giving is a way that we store up treasure in heaven. It's one of the ways we can do that. And then finally. Um, The Ananias and Sapphira passage that is terrifying where they sold their house They probably gave a huge sum of money to the apostles, but they kept back a certain amount But they told them that they gave sacrificially everything and they're both dead because of that lie, right? So you're like, oh my, I will die if I give wrong is the summary. No Give with the right motives is what we learned. That was like a one-time thing that we saw in the scriptures that brought fear to the church and kind of purified some improper motives so this would be a list of, let's say, I look at 100 verses, I pull these verses out and say these verses seem to teach me something about my topic, but now I want to I look at them and say which of these verses relate to each other so I can map out some principles. And So I look at them and I begin to combine them in this way. So I can combine these two verses to say the heart behind giving must be pure. And then I can say, hey, these verses show me that God wants a joyful giver. And and these passages share with me that I should be uh, recognizing there's going to be a reward for my giving. Giving helps us to trust God. Giving should be consistent. You know, that's a passage about setting aside something every week. And so, I've grouped the verses together and said, these are principles that I've learned from them. Then I look at all those principles and I try and summarize what I've learned as a whole. Hey, giving is for my own good. It helps me to give away my own greediness. It helps me practically to be more trusting in God to provide for me as I give back to Him, right? It's a… It's a form of trusting in God to say, I'm going to give this to your work. I'm going to recognize so many of your blessings in my life. Well, now I'm preaching, so I should slow down, right? But, you know, this is what the Bible does. It gets you all excited, right? So, God's given me so much that I should just be so joyful to give to others. And then He's going to provide for me. I can give knowing He'll provide for me. So, how do I live this out? You look at everything and say, What one part of this should I live out? Well, I'm going to save. $10 $10 weekly for 10 weeks. That's the, the first Corinthians passage on set aside money weekly for that time when there, there was a collection. And I'm going to give that money towards sponsoring a student to go on the winter retreat um, that's, that's coming up here. So that would be an application on one of the principles that you learned in the study. So that's an example about how you would process ideas biblically. There's obviously lots of tools that um, can help you with this. But to find it out yourself is always going to be more enjoyable than just reading an article. Like, I'm going to read an article on giving. I'm going to go to desiringgod.com or I'm going to go to this website or whatever. I'm going to find an article on giving. And it's great. It's good. That's a good way to learn something. But studying the Scriptures yourself is is one of the most rewarding things you can do for nourishing your soul. And so that's an example of processing topics uh, biblically. But I want to talk a bit about themes. I'm going to use this word in, in the way to talk about themes being different from topics that they're, they're within topics, right? And so what about when you want to study, not not a big topic like prayer, but you want to study something that's like a theme of prayer, a subtopic of prayer. So something like the prayers of Jesus or the conditions to answer prayers. So you can kind of see how this would come up and you're like, I just feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. I want to see what the Bible says about the conditions for my prayers to be answered. Is there something I'm doing wrong, and that's why my prayers aren't being answered? So I'm going to study that subtopic of our major topic. We'll call it a theme, all right? And so this is going to um, limit our study a bit. So, if you're studying a big theme like prayer, you can imagine that might take you a year to study a big topic like that. To study a a small subtopic like the the prayers of Jesus or answered prayers in the Bible would be a limiting um, thing to do, but then you can have these specific questions that you're asking of that. So, you choose a subtopic to study. And then, so we'll say, for our example, the things that God hates. You're like, I don't want to do anything that God hates, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study this, and I can avoid, I don't want God hating me or anything I'm doing. So similar to the topical study, you want to make a list of, of that word, but also other words that will help you to search the Scriptures. So for our example, we've got these verses. Let me just read them to you before we move on. So Proverbs 6, these six, yes, seven things are an abomination, proud look, Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. That's an interesting one, right? God hates people that sow discord, but discord's very common, right? Division is very common, but God hates it. Psalm eleven five: The Lord tests the righteous, but the, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Psalm, Isaiah 61, 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery, burnt offering. Uh, I will direct their work in truth and make with them an everlasting covenant. Malachi 2.16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. Revelations 2.6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, God speaking. And Amos 5.21 I hate, I despise your feast days, I do not savor your sacred assembly. So these are verses that seem to relate to our idea of the things that the Lord hates. So you you look at the verses and and this theme and and you probably have some questions about it. So it's different because you don't want to just discover everything about the sub-theme. You say, what are some questions, what do I want to know about this subtopic? Why did I choose this topic? So your idea might be, well, I want to know what does God hate why does he hate those things, and who does God hate, if there's even an answer to that, right? So this, these questions might actually be what started you out on the study. You're like, so you might hear somebody say, oh, uh, uh, don't hate the sinner, hate the sin. And you're like, is that in the Bible? Let me see. I want to know if that's in the Bible. That doesn't sound like a Bible verse, right? And so your question is, who does God hate? Does God hate anyone? Or some of these questions, and you launch into your study. So, you can see how limiting your questions that you're asking about a subtopic can be really informative. You could leave here knowing the answer to these questions. That will actually help you to process that subtopic, all right? So, you're going to ask your questions of all the verses. So, all the verses I read, you're going to go through them again and ask one question at a time of all the verses. And if it answers that question, you're just going to mark down that it answered that question. If it doesn't, you skip it. Then you go to your second question, ask that question of all the verses again, same thing, third question, as, as many as you have, right? So if we were starting with question one, what does God hate? Well, based on Proverbs 6, you'd say that entire list, God hates, based on Psalm 11, one who loves violence, Zechariah 8, thinking evil of your neighbor, Isaiah 61, robbery, Malachi 2.16, divorce. Revelation two six, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and Amos five twenty one, false worship. So now you've got a list of things that answer your question. This is what God hates. Second question you ask all the verses again. Why does God hate these things? Now this might involve a bit of interpretation if the answer is not given in the verse, right? So Proverbs six. Well, these things seem to describe the enemy of God. This is not this is not the godly. This is the wicked that we read about in the Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm eleven fifteen. Well, violence hurts God's children. Maybe that's why he hates, you know, someone who is violent, because it's hurting people made in the image of God. Zechariah eight seventeen, thinking evil of your neighbor violates their trust of you, and that's how God set up society to work. Isaiah 61, robbery is selfish, and it doesn't allow God to provide when somebody is robbing. Malachi two sixteen, divorce ruins the picture of Jesus being married to the church and a bunch of other reasons. Um, Revelation 2, 6, the Nicolaitans were corrupting the church. That might require some further study. And then Amos 5.21, false worship is hypocritical. That's why God hates it, right? It's like if, you, if your wife says, do I look good in this dress? And you're like, you just don't actually, actually, you don't answer the question. My wife always looks good in a dress, but you just don't answer, either, way, either I'm practicing now, I just don't answer the question, right? Who does God hate? Psalm 11.5 seems to be the only verse in my list that answers that question. The wicked... Because God's wrath is against sin, and only Jesus saves us from this. Now, this might have to launch you into a different study, but when you actually look at a Psalm 11.5, you know, it says, the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So there's something there that requires further thought, right, and maybe further study, but it, it at least causes you to realize, okay, I need to dive into this and recognize um, why, why, does, why is this happening, Right? So you're getting answers to all your questions here when you're doing a study like this. So you want to go back and look at everything you've learned and and draw some conclusions. God hates these things because they are sin, and I should search my heart and examine my life for any of these things to make sure I am pleasing God. Application, you always want to live out what you're learning. And so because God hates these things, I ought to hate them as well to help my attitude, I won't make jokes about sinful situations anymore. That only causes me to take those things lightly. What do I mean by that? When I was a youth pastor, how come every single time a kid picks up up a piece of paper or a stick off the ground, they pretend like they're smoking it, right? They're like, oh, look at me. I'm smoking weed or something. You're like, why are you doing that? I don't know, because I'm an idiot, you know? Raka. it's just like how come every time a, a a a junior high kid picks up a root beer, they cover root, and they're like, <laughs> "Beer," you know? Or you're going to tacos, you know? It's like, so it just seems like, and then and then maybe a more realistic situation that does really hurt the church more is it doesn't. Thankfully, it doesn't happen. In my setting, as much as it used to, but I remember 10 years or so, 10-15 years ago, that people were constantly mimicking what they thought were homosexual gestures and you know tendencies, and they did they're like, oh yeah, you know, do that. And what are they doing? They're 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 mocking something that is not only culturally sensitive, and not only is a struggle, you know, that that believers and unbelievers have, right? But they're mocking something that is also a sin right and so um you want to make sure you're not doing those things right and so you would uh you would correct people doing hey don't do that man that's going to make people feel uncomfortable we want the church to be welcoming there's there's always people at the bible college that are struggling with same sex attractions and we're trying to help them you know have this be a welcoming place where they can learn and and uh, bring those things to the lord and so we want to make sure we're not joking about any of those things, um, and that's just one example of, of many possibilities, right? So we're going to take a, a minute, a minute, right, 10 minutes or so, and we're going to break up into groups and just practice this a little bit. If you were, if you were taking one of these questions, just have your group take one of these questions, um, what causes anger? I've already pre-searched the Proverbs for you, so our our subtopic will be anger in the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom about anger in the book of Proverbs, so we're limiting our our subtopic there. And then the three questions we want to learn about this, because we want it to affect our lives, is what causes anger, what are the results of anger, and what is the cure for anger? That can really help someone if you know those the answer to those questions about the subtopic of anger in the book of Proverbs. Now, you don't need to look up these verses, because I knew that would be time consuming. So if you just go to that tiny, so tiny.cc slash angry verses, um, it'll pull up a Bible gateway search with all these verses just to speed you along a little bit. Um, so what I want you to do is to get into groups of three or four, pick one of these, you know, pick one of these questions and uh look at the verses and then with your question ask it of every single verse that's in the list and then just write down when you um find an answer so your your if you're doing it on your paper it would look something like this and you've got the verses up top you don't have to pre-fill any of this out but those would be your three questions so if you're choosing question one what causes anger you'd write down the verse reference and what you learned from the verse about a cause of anger next to it all right so let's break up into groups and do this um Somehow we have to make sure all the questions are being handled. So which group's going to do, which groups are going to do question one? Raise your hand. Some of you. All right, we've got one person doing what? A few. Anyone doing question two? Anyone's going to make sure the group is doing question two to help me? Thank you. Question three. All right, good. We got them all covered. Do whatever question you want. Um, You've got about 10 minutes or so, and then we'll go over it together. All right? So get in your groups, pull up the verses, ask the question of every verse, and then write it down. All right. Hopefully you guys are less angry. I had a different topic picked out last night for this, but then um, Pastor Brian Weed was like, "Man, they all look so angry." I'm like, "We can help them. Let's do a Bible study on anger." So I changed everything around based on you guys being so angry last night. So I hope this helps. All right. So hopefully you're you're seeing what this uh, study can do in the sense of taking specific questions to a bunch of verses, and not every verse is going to answer your question, right? And so you skip those ones. And the ones that do answer, you write it down. So, which groups did what causes anger? What causes anger? All right. Any volunteers for one or two things that cause anger that we can avoid? God? Wait, what? I need further clarification. Pride. Pride is different. Yes. I mean, God's allowed to be prideful because he's awesome. But all right. So, pride. Yep. That causes anger. What else? Yeah, a fallen world is definitely going to cause it. Harsh words. What else? A backbiting tongue, right? Use it for lunch, not for backbiting. Yeah, being around other angry people. You're like, I should be angry. All my cool friends are angry. I should be angry. You start kicking stuff. One more. Gossip. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, no matter what I'm wearing. There's no need to talk about it. All right, question two. What are the results of anger? Peace and happiness. Who did what are the results of anger? All right. Yeah, I can isolate you. You're like, I'm not hanging out with that angry person. They're angry. Conflict. What else? No friends. What else? Destruction. No peace in your life, right? This seems like good reasons to avoid it. What is the cure for anger? Jesus. Oh, what would you get? <laughs> Wisdom. Soft answer, right? There's just, I mean, especially like in a city like this. I remember remember in New York City one time, I was walking in college and I I was just walking. I was probably reading a book, you know, late to class. And I bumped, I bumped into somebody, did like one of those shoulder things. And he turns around and he looks at me. And this guy was strong. He had actual muscles. I just had, I have arms. I was like, oh my goodness. So he looks at me and he gets all tough. I'm like, I'm dead. And he goes, you're lucky you're so big. I'm like, he thinks tall means strong. Ha! Yes, yes. I will let you go, little man with huge muscles and weapons in your body, right? But, uh, like, you don't, you don't escalate those things. You're like, what, what? I got, I'm impressing my girl. What? What are you going to do? No, you're going to escalate it. You're dead, right? There's so much, there's actual wisdom in that to, like, teach, teach people, like, don't, don't escalate things like that. You don't know how it's going to end. It's not worth it for your pride. What's one, another cure for your anger? Discretion, right? yeah being slow to anger asking God for patience and grace so you guys can see imagine if you had time to think of and and usually it's a question that gets you thinking of okay this is a subtopic I want to study these are two to three questions that I want to learn about the subtopic this is all very practical